You are obsessed with knowing everything about your unfaithful spouse's infidelity or sexual addiction. But how much is really healthy and beneficial for you and for your marriage? Hi, I'm Kim Pullen, founder of Hope for Spouses, and welcome to this episode of Lunchtime Live. For those of you who are new to our ministry, I started Hope for Spouses shortly after my husband and I were reconciled after a four-year separation due to his adultery. And during the four years that we were separated, I really just tried to focus on my own healing, get out of God's way, and let God work on me and my husband separately. And God did, and he did an amazing job. And so we've been back together for about five years, and we have an incredible marriage. It has been completely restored. It's better than it ever was. And we really believe it's because we have put God at the center of our relationship. Now, one of the things that comes up a lot that I hear is is people talking about how much truth of a spouse's betrayal that we really need to know. Now, there are several different scenarios that we can encounter in this kind of topic. So one of them is that you may suspect your spouse of sexual betrayal. So you are searching for the truth because you feel like it will give you relief or a sense of control. You maybe have caught your spouse in lies of sexual sin and they're unrepentant and they even deflect your questions or try to turn the tables on you. You question them or maybe you rifle through their clothes, their emails, their phone, their computer, or maybe even track them via GPS just so you can get to the truth. Or your spouse is repentant and trying to start living right. And they want to confess their sin or, or maybe do a, a full disclosure. So how do we go through this topic um, and, and kind of balance it? So I'm going to, not everybody's going to be in the same place. We're all in different places of our journey. And so sometimes in this, I will address all three of these. And sometimes it'll be just specific ones. So I just want to encourage you, take what applies to you and leave the rest. Okay, so all right. So first thing, truth that heals. Let's talk about that first. So there are script, there's a scripture that is often misquoted when it comes to the truth. And that is John 8, 31 and 32, where Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I've heard spouses use this verse to validate why they need to know all the gory details about their spouse's affairs or porn addiction. But this scripture isn't meant to be used in that context. Jesus didn't say, all truth will set us free. We've got to make sure we read John 8 in context to the rest of scripture. Now, just a few chapters later, in John 14, 8, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So the truth Jesus was talking about in John 8 was himself. So if we read John 8, 31 and 32 in context, Jesus meant if you hold to my teaching, in other words, you obey and live out scripture, you will know me and my teachings 
and I and my teachings will set you free. And he was specifically talking to some Jews that basically they were going to be free from their enslavement to sin, to worldliness, to legalism. So truth and its power in our lives can be misunderstood if we don't look at the scriptures contextually. I mean, even Pilate in John 18, 37 to 38, when, when confronted by Jesus with this idea of truth, basically responded to Jesus with, what is truth? So let's look at what the scriptures say about truth. And I'll include the notes. I have a bunch of extra notes here. I'm going to include those in the description section of the video or the podcast. So if you want to really go back, and I would encourage you, I challenge you to go back and really study this on your own. Don't just take my word for it. Get into the scriptures. Get your own convictions about this. All right. So in the Old Testament, now, the Old Testament, for the most part, was written in, uh, in Hebrew. There is some Aramaic, but it was, for the most part, written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the word for truth is the word emeth. Okay? I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher these languages. And it is synonymous with faithfulness, reliability, sureness, and basically moving in the right way. Now, in the Psalms, it is repeatedly translated as your truth or his truth, referring to God and God's ownership of truth. In the Proverbs, especially uh, Proverbs 8, 7, truth is connected with the personification of wisdom. And wisdom says, my mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words from my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. Now that is in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have Greek. That's what the majority of the New Testament was written in. And truth is referred to as the truth most often, especially when we're talking about it being used as a noun. So, so truth takes on an identity of its own that is synonymous with Jesus the gospel, and with holiness. And there are several different words in the Greek. So the first one is aletheia. You should see that on the bottom of your screen. So that is, is uh, truth. It's a reality. It is a noun. Now the second one, epigenosis, is actually true knowledge. It's precise. It's correct. It's a knowledge of things that are ethical and divine. The knowledge of things uh, of, of God and God's holy will and of the blessings which he has bestowed, bestows on his people and constantly bestows on men through Jesus Christ. Now, the third one is actually a verb and it's hagiazo. And this is basically to make holy or consecrate, to sanctify, to dedicate, to separate things from the profane. And, and we see this word used in, especially in Hebrews 2, verse 11, and in Hebrews 10, 29. And he talks about that this is what, uh, this type of truth is, is a holiness. It's a righteousness. So all of these are incorporated into really understanding deeper truths. And again, there's other words where Jesus talks about truly I say to you. So those are that's an adverb, and I'll put those in the description section so you can really study all of those out on your own. Now, just because something is true doesn't mean we need to know it. 
Let me say that again. Just because something is true doesn't mean we need to know it. You've heard of the meme, too much information. <laughs> so, you know, we can know somebody has a stomach bug and we can infer what that means, but we don't need to know what color their stool or their diarrhea is. Okay. That's too much information. I don't need to know that. All right. Well, this is the same thing applies here. There are some truths that we don't need to know. They cause harm. They cause scars. So God, God in his wisdom himself, he doesn't reveal everything to us. I mean, our brains are finite. We only can understand so much about the universe, about ourselves, about everything in life. There's only so many things that we can grasp. And I think he keeps a lot of truth hidden from us because we can't handle it or it's more than we can process in a healthy way. Now, uh, it's, it's why we talk to our children age appropriately about maybe their father's sexual sin or, or why bad things happen in the world. So there are some things that we need to protect our children from, maybe till they're adults or maybe forever. Maybe there are just certain things that our children don't need to know from us, what's in our lives or what's in our spouse's life. So let's talk about some truths that can harm us uh, emotionally, especially those of us who are emotionally battered and bruised by our spouse's sexual betrayal, their emotional abuse, the gaslighting. Number one, one of the things that really can harm us is reading our spouse's recovery material, like their notes, their journal. And not only does it violate our spouse's boundaries, but it presents only part of the story. They must have, just like us, they need to have a space to work through their stuff. And they have a lot of stuff. That's why they have an addiction, because there's a lot of core wounds that they have to work through. So just as we would want space to work through our stuff, they need space to do it as well. Now, there are things we think and feel that others don't need to see in our lives, like our journal. Maybe there's things that we have written in our journal. We don't want anybody to see, the, see those. And there are a lot of things that I said in my journal. I wrote a long journal. Mostly I did it online um, in a Word document. It's protected, by the way. Uh, but So there are a lot of things I wrote in my journal that I never want my husband to read. Not because I'm, like, I'm trying to hide anything, but because I don't think or feel those ways anymore. That was when I was in the middle of so much of my pain and my hurt and knowing them won't help my husband in our, in our relationship. They're true. They happen, but they're not going to benefit him because they were a part of things in my past that I have worked through on my own. So there are, there are parts of our, our journey, not theirs. And so, you know, I keep them so I can go back and see how I work through my pain. I can see a, a timeline of things that I went through. So if I need to, I can help other people. But they're not there for my, for my spouse to go back through and pour through because some things will be taken out of context. And so we need to have a space that we are healing that we're not worried about other people diving into and finding it. All right. That's, that's part of the healthy boundaries. Now, we don't need to know as much as we think we need to know. You know, we aren't God, so we need to stop trying to play God in our life 
in our spouse's life. There was a book that I read when my husband and I were separated. I wanted to understand the addiction recovery process. And it's a book by Patrick Carnes called Don't Call It Love. And it is an exhaustive book on his research of sexual addiction recovery. And honestly, I had to stop reading it at times. I had to skip sections of it because he gives very specific sexual sins. And I'm like, I don't need to know that information. I don't want, I don't want to even have those imaginary images in my mind. You know, it was too much for my brain and it was triggering. I mean, my husband's affair partner was in the same town that we were in. So it was triggering enough for me to avoid the areas of town where she lived. And, and, you know, I didn't want to, to forever be triggered by knowing what restaurants they ate in or clubs they went to. That was just too much information. You know, we don't need to know which massage parlors our spouse visited or what porn sites they were on. That's, that's not our burden to carry and it won't help us to heal. It only puts more, uh, more into our backpack, this heavy backpack that we're carrying around. And, and it just puts more in there that we eventually have to work through and wrestle with. So don't take on more than you need to take on. Now, in referring to the church as a body and its parts, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 23 to 24, the parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, like sexual sin, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. There are parts of our lives that are unpresentable and need to be treated with special modesty. We don't expect anybody to get up to the pulpit and announce, okay, this is so-and-so's sin and this is what they did. Of course not. Um, we would expect to be treated privately, quietly, while the person is working through their issues. Now, should your spouse be willing to be open with anybody about these areas? Absolutely. That's part of repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. A willingness to do whatever it takes. Should they be willing to share openly with you? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean you need to hear all of it. So how much truth? Now it's different for every situation, every person. Some people will agree with this and others won't. And that's okay. You have to get your own convictions based on the scriptures and then you need to live with those choices, whatever you choose to do. And you may just say, well, I want to know everything. I need to know everything right now. And then you may get 10 minutes into the disclosure and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't need to know everything. Because it may, you may start realizing it's too much and you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with the stuff that you already know. All right. So now when you have a spouse that is, is repentant, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. If you're, whether your spouse is repentant or not, honestly, the scripture applies. So it's fine for you to know all that information. You have every right to know that information, but is it beneficial? You know, are you so obsessed with the finding out the information that it has mastered you, that you have become a slave to knowing what this truth is, to, the, to your own detriment, to your own spiritual growth and health? So you have to ask yourself this question. Yes, it's, it's permissible, but is it beneficial 
and has it mastered you. And then in Ecclesiastes 7, 16 to 18, it says, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Now, Solomon is, is teaching moderation. And, and that chasing after these extremes, either over-righteous or overwise, like those start becoming our, our idols. And we can become so obsessed with needing to know the truth that it's, it's just an unwise choice. So Paul, uh, not Paul, Solomon says that we need to be practicing moderation even in our own understanding of things. And that these extremes that we pursue, that we think that we need to know, they're not always going to provide the satisfaction that we think we need to have. Instead, Solomon saw that wisdom in, in, in what I call living in the tension. You have a line, and on one extreme, you have all every, every little dirty piece of information about your spouse's sexual sin. And on the other extreme, you have naivete, ignorance, denial. Neither of those is a healthy place to be. So we have to find our place somewhere in the middle. We have to find that tension somewhere in the middle that we have to feel great about, that we have the conviction about, that this is where I can be healthy. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10, 16, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. That is the tension. Where do we find it? It's, it's going to be a little bit different from every one of us. And that's something that you have to discover based on your personal study of the scriptures and really praying and getting advice. Now, when a spouse is unrepentant and we feel this need to obtain as much evidence as possible, then we need to remember first that God already sees it all. In Jeremiah 16 and 17, it says, My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. So we may not see some stuff that's going on. We may only see the top 10%. But God sees all of it. So the question we have to ask is, do we trust that God will reveal what we need to know in his time? Uh, that we don't have to run obsessively, obsessively after it ourselves. So there was a couple examples in my life where I just, I, I it was really hard for me to wait. I, I did. I wanted to obsess. I wanted to figure it all out. I wanted to get to the details. I wanted to push my husband to get through his junk, <laughs> like to wake up. Why is this so hard for you? But I had to learn how to sit back and wait. And God blessed my patience when I chose to do it. So there were several times, like even the very first time I found out that there was something going on with him and his affair partner, somebody came to me and, and told me about it. They were brave enough to tell me about it. I'm very, very grateful that they did. It, it literally was the straw that broke the camel's back in everything coming out. Once when I got a, a, a text that was sent to me in error, it should have been sent to, to somebody else and it was sent to me. And I found out about something that was going on in my spouse's with his plans that he had going on. Another situation where I found out my, my husband got admonished in a church that he was going to with his affair partner, that I found it out from somebody else. And all that stuff happened without me even being there, without me having anything to do with it. 
And then even after my husband and I were reconciled, he had some slips like every addict does. And God revealed those in the time that I needed to know them. So I think when we choose to trust God, to wait on his timing, to really put our faith into action, God will bring it out when we are ready, really ready to be able to know the truth. Now, we have to ask ourselves if the truth that we are looking for will help us move toward God or is it moving us toward worldly obsessiveness? That's the big question. And like I said, it's different for everybody. It's something you have to determine. And if we go too far, there's going to be consequences for that. We're going to be obsessing and we're going to be like, mm, got to go back. We, we have to figure out where that is. And that comes based on our convictions through God's word. Now, now when you do a disclosure with a Christian counselor, you know, the counselor themselves should discern what you really need to hear. You can you can basically say, well, I need to know everything. And a good counselor will be like, mm, no, you don't. Um, this is what we're going to share. Like, And so you may start with sharing just a little bit. And then you may want to know a few more details. And you'll go, they'll go a little bit more. But they're not going to dump the whole thing in your lap. I mean, that's just... That's too much for any one person to handle, okay? So, you know, we we have to really trust wise counsel, that they're going to help us to walk through that process. You know, I think of one example that God really protected me from information that would, would bring me harm. And it was during my recovery process during and even during part of the reconciliation process. So about halfway into our separation, my husband and I filed for bankruptcy. And didn't realize that one of the liens we had on our home um, wasn't going to get pushed away with the bankruptcy. I didn't know how bankruptcy worked. My first bankruptcy. But it basically just got tucked in the back. God knew it was there. We didn't know it was there. And so after my husband and I got back together, uh, I was working a job. Everything was going well. We were saving money. Things were going. And we decided we were going to pursue a dream, which was to move to uh, Western North Carolina, buy a house up in the a cabin up in the mountains, and try to open a retreat center. And so we, we set our heart on that. We set our goal. It was part of our coming together in our reconciliation and, and having a new dream together. Now, we didn't know that, that we still had this lien on our house. So here we are like a week away from selling our house and this lien pops up. And it was like, what? <laughs> big lien, like really big lien. We were not going to be able to move. And, and God orchestrated it so that we could. Some, some things came together and it worked out so that we could. But if I had known about that, when it all happened during the bankruptcy, I think God knows that would have been way too much for me to care. Like I already had a heavy enough backpack to work through all of my stuff. So essentially God kept this knowledge hidden from me for six years because he knew that the burden of it during my recovery and the years of mine and my husband's restoration and the healing would discourage me. It would, it, would, it would hold me back. It would keep me from dreaming and stepping out in faith. And so he carried that knowledge. He carried the truth for six years. So I only had to end up carrying it for a couple of days. So sometimes God is, uh, is doing us a mercy by not revealing the whole truth to us at times. Now, when our spouse is in recovery, 
their accountability partners should be the ones that are bearing the larger burden of our spouse's truth because they can, because they know how to handle it. They're guys. They know what those struggles are like. And if there's somebody who has successfully navigated, which is that who, that's who their, so their accountability partner should be anyway, they know how to help them work through it much better than we do anyway. Now, it doesn't mean our spouse should be hiding when they slip or relapse. And, and that's part of setting expectations and boundaries as you work toward healing and reconciliation. You know, as you move forward, you may need to set an expectation that when they relapse with porn or have a contact with an affair partner, and just so straight up here, almost all addicts slip or relapse. It's just part of recovery. Maybe they have to tell you within 24 hours. Maybe that's part of your expectations. And if they don't, they violate the trust. So this truth may initially hurt us, but it's, but it's how trust is built. It's how trust is recreated. So we don't need to know the details, but we just need to know that that's what happened. Uh, now, if we don't need to know the details, it only, um, if, or if we do have those details, what happens is it creates this buzzing in our head. And it just sits there and buzzes and buzzes and buzzes. And we can't, we can't pull away from it sometimes. And it takes a long time for us to recover, longer than we maybe needed to. There were several times where uh, things were revealed in, in our marriage after we were reconciled. And there were a few days where I just had to step away from the growing intimacy in our relationship. And I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about just connecting with each other, like emotionally and spiritually. I had to step away because I had to work through the trauma again of being hurt again. I didn't need to know a lot of the details. And so if I did, all that stuff would just keep buzzing in my head and it would take me longer to get over it, longer to pull away from that and keep moving forward in my healing. I just obsess over it. So, uh, so we have to be really careful about how much we do take on in that. Now, if and when you start working through reconciliation and facing the truth, you know, neither of you is going to do it perfectly. Well, you'll learn through mistakes what some things you don't need to know because, let's face it, you can never unknow some of those things. So you have to really count the cost. Is this stuff I really need to know because you can not forget it once it's in there you can't unknow it you can't take those visual pictures out of your mind anymore so you have to count the cost do you really need to know those things now Paul told the Philippians I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That's Philippians 1, 9 through 10. And then in Philippians 4, 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This stuff that you're hearing from your spouse it may be true, but you have to count the cost and ask yourself, is it noble? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? If it's not, then, then think, do I really need to know all this information? Is this going to help me to grow forward 
to move forward or is it going to pull me back? I'm not saying we need to be naive. We don't. But we have to be wise about how much information we know about our, our partner's sexual sin and their acting out. All right. Now, there are three questions that we can ask ourselves before pursuing the details about our spouse's sexual sin. Do I want to know so I can feel in control? In other words, we're being led by our fear. So do I want to know so I can feel like I am in control? And we can look in Romans 8, 5, and 5 through 8 to really see what he's talking about there. Will this knowledge move me toward healing and eventual reconciliation or toward more trauma and dysfunction? And then number three, will it help me become more like Jesus in righteousness and holiness? And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So three questions. Do I want to know so I can feel in control? Will this knowledge move me toward healing and eventual reconciliation? Will it help me to become more like Jesus in righteousness and holiness? Okay. Now, if you find yourself wrestling with these questions and you want help to let the scriptures be your guide rather than your emotions guiding you, and if you feel ruled by fear and are obsessively harming yourself with the truth, or if you need guidance and support in learning how to use the difficulties in your marriage as a catalyst to learn to trust God and be conformed more into the image of Jesus, then I want you to go ahead and schedule a call with me. I want you to go to hopeforspouses.com slash call. Again, that's hopeforspouses.com slash call. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes or an hour. We'll talk through your situation. We'll funnel that all through the scriptures and really see how does God view this. And then I'll try to provide you some resources or give you some direction and what would be the healthiest strategy that you can have in moving forward in your healing process. Well, that concludes this episode of the Hope for Spouses Lunchtime Live. I'm Kim Pullen. I'll see you next time. Take care.